welcome to this episode of the Par 5 podcast. Now, this is the first time that I have decided to record the visuals for the podcast. So normally the previous episodes have just been um, audio only and online. This time I thought I would uh, bring myself into it. So I'm Andy and I run Andy's Golf Blog. And the idea behind the five Par 5 podcast is just really to talk about golf, so things that have been happening in the world of golf, talking about my own experiences in golf, and yeah, just anything really to do with golf. So today, I've done my hair and makeup, and um, here I am. So what are we going to have a look at today in episode two? Well, a couple of things. Obviously, one of the main talking points recently um, was the US Open, which just finished on Sunday night. I'm going to talk about my own um, golf journey, if you like, this week. So what have I been working on? What is changing in my game? Um, what am I hoping to, to achieve from looking ahead to the winter um, and trying to get some practice in? And also... I'm going to bring you a review of three golf books that I have read and I think uh, I would I would like to recommend to you guys because if you've not read them then hopefully they'll uh, they'll bring a little bit more entertainment to your life and certainly now given that there's less time for golf during the uh, the kind of winter months it's a good time to to get reading pick up a book go into audible and listen to some and uh, and yeah expand your horizons in the world of uh, of golf so anyway, let's kick things off with a little recap of the US Open. So US Open played this weekend or this week, the last four days at Winged Foot Golf Club and it was won by Bryson DeChambeau. Now, I would say I was a little bit surprised that he won, but in watching it, I was I was really, really impressed with, uh, with just how he did it. So first of all, only player to finish under par. And I, I talked in my preview episode around the, the sort of scores we had at the last six outings that, or last five outings at Winged Foot um, around what to expect from the course and what to expect based on previous scoring. And he absolutely blew that out of the water. Now, Bryson DeChambeau is a little bit of a kind of dis, you know divisive figure in the world of golf. Some people like him, some people really don't. But I think you, you have to admire that he just goes about doing things his own way. And, you know, you, you've definitely got to respect that. He did say before, um, before the event, that he was going to basically just stick to what he's been doing since uh, since the restart using his muscle, using his power and he was just going to bomb the ball down there take out the trees, take out the bunkers and leave himself short irons or wedges into the greens. Well, I think that's what I think everybody's interested because uh, some guys are talking about dialing it back with three woods, hybrids yeah. driving irons so everybody's interested in what your approach will be yeah. given your length. I mean, I'm hitting as far as I possibly can up there. Even if it's in the rough, I can still get it to the front edge of the, or the middle of the greens with pitching wedges and nine irons. Mm -hmm. um, that's the, the beauty of, of my length and that advantage. Now, obviously, if it's into the wind and there's some, some of those situations going on, then it's going to be different. Um, you know, there's certain holes I might lay up on just because of the situation. But for the most part, I'm going to be trying to go after it as much as I possibly can. Now, even though he was still finding the rough, um, I think he only hit something like 23 or 24 fairways um, for the, the four days of the event. He was close enough to be able to muscle a wedge into the green. And the thing is, these greens were lightning fast. They were difficult. The slopes were tough. And, and he still had to putt. So I think... Looking at his performance over the week, whilst he was really, really powerful and smashing the ball down there further than, than anyone else, 
he still putted really, really well. And I think a lot has been made of just how far he was hitting the ball, but not so much about how his touch was around the greens or how his, his, his putting was. Um, and I think for me, that aside from the smashing uh, factor, his, his putting was, was excellent. Um, thinking back to the final round, he, he made a putt for Eagle in the ninth hole, which was a massive putt because there's a really big swing in terms of the, the difference between him and uh, in second place Matt Wolf. And that definitely helped kind of get him further on advance into the, the last uh, the last nine holes and he certainly said based on you know, just got a delivery guy at the door there he certainly said based on his um, final final round that that was the point where we really thought actually I might have a chance here of, of winning this competition and by that point um, I think that the momentum was with him not so much with Wolf and and that was when we really started to see him close out the tournament um, but even listening to him afterwards he talked about how at that point although he thought right I've got a chance of winning this he was still careful he was still plotting his way around he's very methodical when you watch his approach to golf it's it's constantly looking at the yardage books constantly looking at the greens books talking to his caddy thinking things through um, and with some players they would get in that position they might get a bit ahead of themselves but he did say nope I'm going to bring it back I'm going to think about this hole by hole and I'm going to really ensure that I um, that I'm able to to see this one out and, and all credit to him he, he, he played a blinder I really enjoyed watching it it's, it's an interesting one when it comes to his style of play just bombing the ball is it's not finesse golf it's not the kind of golf that everybody necessarily enjoys but you know what it, it worked for him and the, the difference is that he's gone out and made a change to his body he's gone out to to actively try and, and bulk up smash the ball and um, and he's, he's now getting his rewards I don't think it's going to work in every competition and it obviously hasn't because he hasn't constantly won every week um, but there's there's not really a big difference there to, to Tiger Woods in his prime to be honest he was one of the players who became more active was fitter was healthier than everyone else uh, and was hitting the ball further than everybody and that's essentially what Bryson's doing it's just that he you know, is hitting it way further than everybody. But the thing is, as well, he's, he's actually pretty accurate. So he's hitting it 350, but he's finding a lot of fairways. Um, Winged foot, maybe not as many fairways as he would on a you know a normal golf course. Um, but he's certainly given himself opportunities. And if you're that far down and just hitting little wedges into the greens, it's inevitable that you're going to win um, more more competitions. I think winged foot was a really interesting setup because a lot was made certainly before the event around how thick the rough was going to be, how challenging it was going to be for the players, how difficult the greens were going to be. And then we stepped into Thursday and we had several players under par. We had Justin Thomas with five under first round. And I must admit, the first round was nothing like I expected and certainly nothing like I'd previewed. Yes, the rough was a little bit difficult um, but the players were, were finding the greens and, and they were managing to putt and they were managing lots of scores under par and that is not what, what I or, or anyone else I don't think expected um, I know that the rough had been cut a little bit before the, the competition and I think they were they were mindful that with the amount of light this time of year 
they were wanting to ensure that everybody would get finished the first round so I think they purposely set the course up just that little bit easier it was nice to see in the second round on Friday just how different it was and any players who were a couple to five six seven over par after the first round realistically they had no chance of making the cut even players like Justin Thomas who was five under struggled um, on his second round and fell right down the leaderboard and you know there was only a couple of players that really that really managed to put in a solid round on the Friday so we certainly saw from the perspective of, of the, the, the course on the Friday was as it probably intended to be or the USGA intended it to be um, and and it was set up in a way that we were we were expecting and, and hoping and the nice thing about that is that it started to move players up the players who did play well got right up the leaderboard and a lot of the players who didn't play well again you know they were on the the aeroplane home so loads of big names missed a cut we had um we had Tiger Woods obviously missing the cut. There were uh, Ian Poulter missed the cut. Henrik Stenson, Finn Wickerson, who to be honest, with you, I didn't think Mickelson had any chance, but he missed the cut as well. And it just showed that the, even these guys who are as good as they are were really struggling to make the cut. As we got into the weekend, it was good to see that the the course remained kind of consistent. So again, if you were finding fairways, if you were hitting greens, you were going to do you were going to do well, unless of course you were just taking the the Bryson route. Um, so, so generally speaking, I think from that perspective, it was a great competition. It rewarded the players who found the fairways. It rewarded the players who putted really, really well. And it rewarded the players who had a good short game. And it lived up to what you'd expect from a, from a US Open. It was extremely tough for the players. And only a handful seemed to, to cope well with the conditions. And obviously, uh, Bryson in the end came out on top. So won his, his first major... We probably should have seen it coming, to be honest. He, he won the the amateur champion, so the, the US Open Amateur Championship um, earlier on. And he comes back, what, five years later and, and wins the, uh, the main US Open title. The thing I don't quite understand with Bryson is I find him a bit kind of bold and brash and... Whilst he seems very polite and, you know, he was, he was thanking everybody under the sun and he's constantly saying thank you to his parents in his aftermatch interview, it almost, for me, is a little bit too robotic at times. So a, a prime example, he wins the, the competition, so it's like his the biggest win of his career. Straight away, the announcers ask him about his performance and the first thing he does is he pulls out a bit of paper and he says, I have to thank my sponsors. I get that these guys are paid loads and loads of money and I get that they've got to thank their sponsors but I would have liked at that point for him to actually just sort of settle down and think, you know what, I'm going to talk about this event, I'm going to talk about my performance here because this is a massive moment in my life but instead it was I want to thank Puma, I want to thank Cobra and all these sponsors, Bentley, NetJets, whoever and then it was talking about the golf and for me, that kind of just shows where golf's at and where the money, the money is now. Because the players, if that was fifty years ago, it would be, you know, Jack Nicholas or Gary Porter. They'd be talking about the golf. They'd be talking about how they played, how they performed, thanking their, you know, their peers or the other guys playing against them, or you know, uh, commiserating them for for not winning. But with him, it was just straight on to the sponsors, and then you get these his after match sort of or tournament press conference. He's got the protein shake. There. He's got the bottle. He turns around with the labels to the camera before he can start talking, and I think you could drop in a few thank yous to your sponsors and a few, you know, get a few more deals for them. 
but I would like to have focused more on the golf at that point and less on, on the sponsors but but hey it is what it is he's getting paid big bucks for that um, and it you know again he does things his way um, he's definitely going to win more there's no doubt about it I can't see him starting to win loads of majors though I think that whole bombing it technique other players will start doing the same but there will always be courses which will be you know won in events won by players who play more of a in more of a finesse style um, who maybe hit more fairways and hit more greens than Bryson and he's not going to have his week every single week so whilst I do think he'll win a couple more majors I don't think he is going to constantly be up there and, and winning every event and what often happens after a player wins an event is they become like certainly young players like Morikawa DeChambeau Justin Thomas and he's probably the exception because he does tend to play well most weeks um, they, they get propelled to this area where it's oh they're the new Tiger Woods we saw it with Morikawa after he won the, the PGA Championship he's going to win for years and years and years he is but he's not necessarily going to win every week. And I think a lot is made after a, a youngster wins a big competition that they're going to become the new Tiger Woods. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. Bryson's going to win some more, no doubt about it. But I don't think you're going to see him contending every single week of the PGA Tour. Um, and I do often wonder how how long he can keep going playing in this style playing and with his body like that and smashing the ball because he's basically like a long drive golfer with a bit more accuracy um, but yeah it'll certainly be interesting to see how he gets on when we go to Augusta um, in a couple of months time that's going to be a different setup, a different style of golf required and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how he competes at a course like that um, for me personally of course I would love to see Rory win that one uh, I think everybody's rooting for Rory again not his best week at the US Open um, so hopefully the next major we'll see um, we'll see a little bit more of Rory um, now I wanted to um, to take a look at um, a couple of other things this week in this uh, this podcast so for now, I've always kind of focused on the, the events, um, previewing and reviewing them. And this week, I thought I'd do something a little bit different. So I wanted to highlight three golf books that I have really enjoyed. Now, I've got to be honest, I'm not somebody who is really a big fan of reading. I never have been. Um, I've probably read about 10 full books in my life and about five or six of them have either been sports or um, autobiography. So they're the, they're the kind of books that I do like. In recent times though, I've signed up to Audible and I have I have started to listen to a lot more um, books because I find it a lot easier to listen to a book than, than to read them. Certainly on my commute to work or uh, whilst working, I'll have um, sometimes uh, either a podcast or an Audible book on and this way I've been able to consume far more golf content um, and it's amazing the little things that you learn from reading these books if it's an autobiography it might be talking about the mental side of the game for a player, what they change to try and um, to try and help them, to help them win more, to help them on the course, to help them off the course and and certainly as people we can learn a lot from, um, from these books there's also various books for which you can focus on the mental side of the, the game like Zen Golf um, which Eric Anders Lang often promotes, and these books can can definitely help you in you know both on the course and off the course for your game. Um, but the books I've picked today are 
more either autobiographies or they focus on the golfers okay so they're all golf related and uh, there are three books that I thoroughly enjoy so the first one I'm going to highlight is Slaying the Tiger so this is by Shane Ryan now this book came out quite a while ago and I read it quite a while ago as well so I was trying to to go through when I was thinking back about the book and some of the things that I I really enjoyed um he basically has written for ESPN, for Golf Digest, um, so he's a sports writer. And Slaying the Tiger focuses on the PGA Tour, but during one specific year, so it's 2014. Now, what I really like about this book is he basically went on tour and followed all of the different events around the tour, or not all of them, because there'd be you know 50 or 52 of them. Um, so he followed them for, for 12 months, and it gives you a really unique insight into what it is like at not just the event, but also that for the players who are taking part. And in each chapter, he focuses on a different player. So the great thing is that he doesn't just talk about the player who has turned up that week or who's won that week um, and how they performed, but he takes you on a, a, almost a kind of journey through that player's life. And what's nice about the book is you get a great insight into what the player is like as a person, but also what they're like on the course and uh, and off the course. And you get the little kind of backstory about the players. So some of the players that feature in the book, he has Jason Day, he has uh, Bubba Watson, he's got Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, Patrick Reed, Justin uh, Dustin Johnson. We've got who else? We've got uh, Ricky Fowler, Keegan Bradley. So this was obviously six years ago, so 2014, and this was at a time when Tiger wasn't really in his prime. So a lot of these players were kind of seen as the, I guess the, the guys who were going to be the next Tiger Woods. Um, so at a time when they many of them were performing really, really well. So Jordan Spieth was only 21 at the time. And this was when he was really kind of taking the, the golf world by storm. It's interesting reading the book because some of the players who you expected to not be such nice guys and great guys, and um, some of them you learn about and you think, actually... That, that guy's all right, you know, based on based on uh, Shane's sort of um, interactions with them and uh, and his his experience with them on on tour, and some of the players you, you think, oh yeah, I, I expected that from them. So, for example, Jason Day, he talks about Jason Day's life as a, as a youngster growing up, how he got into golf and. You know his experiences so um i think he, he found a golf club in the in the, the garbage or the trash as they, they call it in the book and his dad got him started that way he came from a, a fairly kind of poor family of poor background and it talks about his his life obviously not in too much detail but then how he got into golf and uh, and then his um his time on the pga tour during 2014 so jason day for me was a really interesting one because he always comes across as a really nice guy and he took up golf a little bit later than most guys and most players but he is an exceptional golfer and back in 2014 he was considerably better than or performing better um, than he is just now so the the book takes you through all of these players you get a little bit of insight and there's some players that really stick out and you think wow definitely didn't think that about that player um quite quite surprising actually and i'll not give you too much um information because i don't want to i don't want to basically go through um and tell you 
too much about the book. I want to leave some surprises. Some other areas in the book where we talk about golf courses. So he talks about um, Augusta National and almost the machine behind Augusta. So Augusta seen on TV has been this like beautiful place with the azaleas and you know the picturesque uh, shots of the golf course. But the book really talks about what Augusta is like not just behind the scenes but what they're like as a, a corporation if you like um, how it's managed how all of those fairways are so beautifully manicured but it's it's not this beautiful elegant course off the course if that makes sense so they're really quite strict and controversial at points um, so Shane takes you behind the scenes at Augusta and talks about um, Augusta in a sort of light that you may not have seen it or heard about it before um, and it kind of goes past the nice pretty pictures and takes you down into the I guess the darker and dirtier side of Augusta um, and it it almost seems like the kind of club that I don't know if I'd want to be part of, to be honest. It it, it seems like it's all smiles and all, you know, um, this this lovely place to be. But actually, there's there's almost a kind of dirtier side of, of Augusta. Not in a seedy way, um, but almost a side that I, I don't think um, they're too happy with people exposing and seeing. Um, and, and you get a really good kind of insight um, from the book into Augusta. So, yeah, two, two different parts there to look out. The, the book doesn't really focus too much on Tiger Woods, which obviously the world of golf is always focusing on Tiger. And the book doesn't really doesn't really have too much of a focus, although it's called Slaying the Tiger. Um, it's more about the guys who are going to potentially at that point be the next uh, Tiger Woods. So, so check it out. Um, available on Amazon. You can get it on Audible, I believe. And because it's been out for six years, you'll get it. You'll get it dirt cheap anyway. So, Slaying the Tiger by uh, Shane Ryan is uh, the first book that I would I would encourage you to think about. The next one, um, Tiger Woods. So this was by Jeff Benedict, and this came out shortly after the big Tiger Woods scandal. The, the book isn't obviously written by Tiger Woods, so you need to take what's said with a pinch of salt. They do put at the end of the book that um, it's been pulled together from over 400 interviews and uh, various articles. So there's a big long list of, of the sources of the information. Um, but essentially, it... it takes you through Tiger's life and then up until the, the sort of main scandal, if you like. Um, and it's because it isn't written by Tiger, as I said, you don't know how many things are factual, but the, the book is constructed based on the various articles and interviews. So a lot of it could be hearsay, but there's a lot of really kind of juicy and, and meaty um, information in there and, and stories. So it starts off basically talking about Tiger's life from a youngster. And often with these sports personalities and these really big sports stars, a lot is is based on how they were brought up by their parents. So the book focuses on uh, Tiger's dad, Errol, and and how he, from a young age, for example, would have Tiger sitting watching him at the age of two on a chair in the garage, smashing balls. And then he would take Tiger down to, down to the golf course and how he... He almost turned Tiger in, almost like a robot. It's like he was programming Tiger um, to to live out this golf life from an early age, and it is the case with these seriously uh, successful sports stars that 
that is kind of sometimes what happens with them. So they come from this background where their parents are really driving them. And it could be seen as, as living their kind of failed golf careers and golf lives and love of golf and love of sports through their kids. Now in Tiger, it is, it's paid off because he's gone on to become the biggest golf star without a doubt and probably the biggest sports star on the entire planet. He's worth uh, you know over a billion dollars uh, in, in terms of money he's made from, from golf. So there's no denying his success, but a lot of his character has been shaped by his parents and by how they were and how they, the, the kind of, I guess, the values they instilled or, or maybe even lack of values from a young age. So the book, as I said, starts off at his young age, then it takes you through how he was as he progressed as a junior, how he was going into uh, pro golf. And a lot of the way that Tiger is and certainly was as I said, comes from how he was shaped by his his father. Uh, and when you read the book, you almost start to really dislike Tiger. Now, I've always loved Tiger. And when his affairs came out and all the, the kind of goings on, I started to think, well, actually, he's not this kind of nice, clean-cut guy as he obviously seemed to be. And it was almost like he was living a kind of double life. Um, but it's interesting now, the world of golf absolutely loves Tiger again so it's like all is forgotten he won obviously the, the, the Tour Championship of the Zozo um, he won the Masters in 2019 and every week he tees up he is still by far and away the most popular guy there now I think I love Tiger more for the golf and, and for what he's done in the world of golf and how exciting he was as a kid growing up but when I was reading the book I was starting to think actually <laughs> probably a bit of an arse to be honest the things he was doing the things he would say to people the way he treated people the way he treated his peers all these things just made him out to not really be a nice a nice guy but then sometimes that's seen as oh he's ruthless so you know that's how Tiger wins he's just got this vision where he only focuses on golf um, there was a recent thing where Tony Finau I think had tried to chat to him a little bit at the Masters in 2019 and Tiger basically just completely blanked him, wanted nothing to do with him, he just wanted to play his golf because he's that kind of guy, he's been set up to be like that by by his dad from a young age and he's so focused and so ingrained on golf that that kind of nice side and personality, he seems almost to be lacking and from the book there's, there's various... Um, various chapters where it talks about how Tiger was really from a young age quite a recluse you know even on tour like these video consoles like these times just being on his own um, so the book talks about at tournaments just sitting playing his Xbox constantly having very few friends and visitors and and I guess that, that kind of helped him through his time as a golfer because he didn't have he had those people around him kind of controlling him eh, Mark Steinberg and, and various others and they took care of everything off the course and all he had to do was just focus eh, really on on the golf um, but it seems like he was basically this kind of robotic character it's interesting looking at him now on on the course where obviously from a brand point of view he's had to do a lot you see him in interviews on golf tv with henny and he's he's laughing and smiling and he's given access to his house and and all the stuff that you would never have seen it could be that he's just getting older and it could be that that's just you know comes with he's now although he's still a huge name in the world of golf he the younger guys are coming through and 
and he's almost now sort of maybe relaxed a little bit. Maybe he's realised that it's not going to be his week and he's not going to be so dominant every week. But I think a lot of that's probably carefully plotted and planned out by um, by his, his PR team, if you like, to try and make him a little bit more of a, a nice guy. Um, but in the book, you just you certainly don't see that. There's some really telling stories with Tiger in the book, which again, not sure how true they are, um, but you read them and you just think, Christ. Um, one of the examples were, was um, with a lady called Peggy. Now, for numerous years, Tiger stayed in Peggy's house when he performed at the Masters. So when he was playing the Masters, he rented Peggy's house and he had been renting this house for years. Now, this person was a friend of Marco Mira. Woods became really good friends with Marco Mira. And I think after Mira's win at the Masters, there's a little part in the book where they talk about um, him having a, a glass of wine with Tiger in his rented house, which um, he, he rented also, I think, from Peggy. And Peggy came over and she asks you know, oh, you, you know, you're Tiger Woods. Um, do you mind if I, if I get a photo or an autograph, something like that? And Tiger just completely blanks her and and just, just basically walks out as they're, they're about to head out. And I think this is somebody who's given your house for free for so many years to you whilst you enjoy the Masters and you play. And he doesn't even have the decency to stop for an autograph or a photo with this person. Um and then there's a there's another section where it talks about Tiger uh, racking up massive a massive phone bill um, while staying at this house, and he is asked to obviously to, to pay for it, and instead of just you know chucking in however much it was and a wee bit extra before the services and and to, to pay it, he pays the exact amount to the will be sent in America the exact amount for the phone calls so it could have been him it could have been his management but it's that kind of thing where Tiger's in control and he you know th- there's stories of him not leaving tips at restaurants even though he's the highest paid sports athlete in the entire world uh, and all these little stories about Tiger that the book the book brings out and you just think maybe he isn't this kind of guy that we all see has been this friendly approachable tiger that we now see um, and maybe has changed but certainly the book talks about his career and, and through the ages and there's really there's a lot of good little stories like that when you read it and you think yeah I'm not so sure about Tiger anymore. Um, so do check it out. Tiger was by uh, Jeff Benedict. It's, it's a great read. It's quite thick. It's quite long. But it's really juicy in terms of all of these stories. But just be mindful that uh, they could be hearsay. Um, they are based on interviews and whatnot. But when you read further into that, Jeff didn't really get any full interviews um, for this book with, with any really kind of close people around Tiger um, so it's it's an interesting book and certainly worth a read um, if you're a Tiger lover by the end of it you may not have as much respect for Tiger as you possibly had um, that's certainly how I feel but hey, I still enjoy listening to uh, to Tiger and to to watching him um, play the golf courses and uh, would I love to see him get a few more majors <sighs> of course I would Now, the third book is, uh, is is on Ian Poulter. It's Ian Poulter's autobiography called No Limits. Now, I have to be honest, for as long as I can remember, I have never liked Poulter. Um, i always seen him as this really arrogant, sort of self-obsessed, self-centred, um, 
petulant guy. I, I never liked him. Never ever. Even as much as he's done for Europe at the Ryder Cup, I have never ever liked Poulter. However, after reading this book, my thoughts on Poulter completely changed. And I now follow him on social media. I really enjoy his posts. And I think that's because I've got a better understanding of him from this book. Now, don't be fooled by reviews. If you read reviews um, on this book, a lot of people comment on his you know, lack of writing ability and style and the, and the words he uses and whatnot. But you've got to remember he's a golfer. He's not a writer. He's not an author. Um, what you're getting here is his side of the story, his... Um, his tales from the tour. So it's it's set up until around about, I think it's around about maybe 2014. So again, it's a wee bit older. Um, but it takes you briefly through his life as a, a youngster and right the way through to all of his events playing on the European tour, um, starting out getting his um, PGA Tour card and playing at various Ryder Cups. What I liked about it is... In his early days, he talks about, and quite honestly and frankly, about how he genuinely wasn't actually that good at golf. So he he struggled. He turned uh, professional with a handicap, I'm sure, of around about four or something like that. But he worked extremely hard. So he knew from a young age that if he was to make it in the world of golf, he had to put in the practice and he had to get better. And even now when you watch Poulter with his own kids on social media and he's, uh, he's coaching his young his young kid and he's hitting some balls, he's, he's always trying to critique them, give them advice, talk of the things that they could do a lot better. Um, and you can tell that it's because he has worked on all that stuff himself and he understands that if you've not naturally been born with the... Uh, you know the gift of golf you're going to have to work incredibly hard to get there and to make it and that's what he's done so um yeah he goes through his experience as an assistant pro selling uh, mars bars at, at the golf club then through to actually playing in some uh, events getting his european tour and as i said his uh, pga tour card then across uh, moving across and living in uh, in america and he makes reference to his collection of cars that most people know about. So he's got this wonderful collection of cars, his, his love of watches. But whilst these things seem really flashy, it's a pride thing with Poulter. So he shows his cards off because he's worked extremely hard to be able to buy them. So, you know, why, why shouldn't he? When it comes to fashion and his choices, since a young age, I think he used to work on a market stall and he'd sell clothing and bits and bobs. He's always been really... You know, impressed by fashion, and he likes to 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 look good. Although some of his uh, his looks on the course, uh, not really for for me, um, and seen as a, maybe a bit of a fashion flop, if if that's a a fair term to use. But it, you know, he talks about why he started his clothing brand, and and at this point, and I think his clothing brand was actually still doing quite well. It's now uh, no longer a business, um, so obviously didn't didn't do that well but in the book he talks about why he started the app and why fashion's important and also why it's important to basically just be presentable and he's he's almost a bit sort of OCD about certain things so you can see when you follow him on his social media he's got all his shoes lined up he talks in the book about only using uh, Titleist 1, 2s and 4 so he took his caddy and um, had to take all the 3 uh, balls out of the packs and then eventually he just started getting titles to send them numbers that weren't the number three because it wasn't deemed lucky 
Um, and he talks about his sort of rigorous practice sessions, cleaning his clubs, even down to doing things like re-gripping. He still re-grips all of his own clubs. So the book focuses around not only his golfing life, but also the, the sort of the, the parts, the, the traits of his character and, and why he is the way um, he is. Even down to things like using social media. So he talks in the book about why he wants to use Twitter and, and he now uses Instagram and why he enjoys using them and, and using them the way he does. So there's a lot in the book around that. From a golf point of view, there's some great stories around him um, turning up to events and playing pranks on other um, on other guys such as Justin Rose. So whenever he was a bit younger, obviously on tour, um, putting glue in locks in hotel rooms and almost getting kicked out. And there's also stories about gluing uh, head covers to, to clubs and stuff like that. So I think he was quite jovial and he probably still is quite jovial on tour. Even now when he's one of the kind of older guys, I think they like to play pranks on the young guys. Um, and, and he talks a lot in the book about being pranked when he was younger, but also playing the pranks. And I think he probably would have been quite a bit of fun um, being on tour with, with Poulter in the early days. He's obviously highly respected by his peers. And... Um, in the book, he talks about the kind of partnerships and pairings at Ryder Cups with players like Justin Rose um, and how he performed. And that, for me, is probably one of the best bits in the book. So because he's known as Mr. Ryder Cup, a lot of the book focuses on his experiences at the Ryder Cup, but not just how the event was, but also how it was leading up. So what the, the atmosphere was like in the camp with the various different captains and the various players, how they prepared... Um, what it was like in the, you know, the locker room, if you like, before the events, how they got pumped up. And there's no denying he's somebody who always gets pumped up for these events. So really, really impressive book. Um, if you're somebody who loves reading and you like to critique things, then you may find issues with the sort of language that's used. Um, but I, as you can tell, I'm certainly not somebody like that. I just love it from a golf point of view because that is... Um, is what this book's about. And there's also a really interesting um, point where he gives his thoughts and his opinions on his uh, his fallout with Colin Montgomery. So back in, what was it, 2008, for the Valhalla Ryder Cup, Nick Faldo chose um, Poulter as one of his wild card picks. And Montgomery took issue with this. Um, I even love the fact that... It, Poulter was so certain of getting the royal, um, the wide wild card, they basically just didn't even turn up to the qualifying event before the the Ryder Cup, which uh, Monte to Cambridge with. So the book talks about the various people like Monte that he's fallen out with and uh, over the years. And there's there's been a few of them. Obviously, Poulter can ruffle a few feathers, um, but that's what I love about it. You get that kind of the the insider info on not only the events and uh, and what it's like preparing for the events and playing on tour but also the fun stuff like the guys staying in hotels and playing pranks on each other um, like the other two books available on Amazon you can get that one at Audible so you can sign up um, I'll put a, a little link in the description where you can get a free trial to Audible if you're interested but the, the stuff's all available it's cheap now because these are older books but they're definitely really kind of interesting books for the, the the golf lover if you if you want to know more about these people and the players on tour then uh, certainly from these books you'll you'll get more of an insight all right so now i've spoken about uh, a couple of books there so hopefully you find that interesting now i want to move on to uh, a little bit of uh, a, a 
an overview of my golf this week. So last week, um, I spoke about how I went for a lesson at Wells Green with uh, Scott Rose, and we worked only on one thing. It was actually a 30-minute lesson focusing solely on my weight distribution. So I had the shot of the um, pressure board on a mat, hit some balls. Pressure seemed to be in the wrong place with regards to uh, my weight. So I had too much weight on the front of my right foot and too much on my left heel. We swapped that around and I was uh, instantly seeing a, a better strike. Still got an over-the-top movement. But as Scott said to me, let's focus on getting the, the weight shift right, stop the airway extension, and then we'll work on um, getting the club the club on a slightly better plane. But there's a massive, massive difference in my ball striking already. So after that and a few practice sessions, felt really confident in going out and playing um, in a meadow at the weekend. But it didn't quite go to plan. So I've not played too many middles this year. I've played enough to keep my handicap. Um, but every week I've kind of been going up point one. So after the lesson, I was quite confident, booked into play. And we played in the last tee off time for medal at the end of the day. So it's about three, I don't know, 320 or something like that. Um, and I just, just played really poorly. Um, finished 13 over, so shot an 85, which was... Um, on a par 72, 13 over. I was nine over at the turn. So I left the ninth hole thinking I've used all of my strokes now. Um, I basically need to return in par. Now, normally you'd get the buffer of two strokes, but at my club, although it's a par 72, the standard scratch is always 70 or below. So it's pretty frustrating knowing that I don't have the buffer going on to the 10th hole. The, the front nine holes... The actual ball striking was pretty good, to be honest, but I found a lot of the rough, so I missed a lot of fairways, and I was putting myself in positions where, instead of being able to go for greens, I was either having to pitch out, or I just got a little bit lazy, so there's a couple of holes where I was in the rough, and I was just playing a little pitch out shot, and I just grabbed my club and hit it, and ended up either scuffing the ball, or not getting enough on it, and not even finding the fairway, so... For example, on the third hole of my course, I drove into the rough, we found the ball, and it was quite thick, but instead of just going to the side and making sure I got the ball out onto the fairway to give myself a chance on the par five, I just hit a kind of tame little tap, and the ball came out of the thicker rough, but into the semi, and then from there I had to then play another shot to get out onto into the fairway. I had another incident like that on the seventh hole where I needed to just bump one right down the fairway from the rough, but instead I just to hit a, a sort of soft mediocre shot no conviction and remained in the rough and it doesn't sound like much but those two strokes definitely didn't help and those were the two strokes that by that point stopped me to get uh, stopped me from getting into the buffer then the putting putting was absolutely dreadful um I know my putting, certainly the lag putting, isn't the best, but I hit a probably about five or six three putts on the round. Um, on the front line alone, there was, there was three three putts. And the greens weren't in the best condition, be it at the end of the day, there was a few spike marks and bobbles and stuff, and they'd, you know, they were, they were quite thick, quite slow. But there's no excuse. I, I just do not get my lag putts close enough. And again, it's, it's a lack of, probably a lack of concentration, a lack of conviction. So the main kind of takeaway from me after a, a fairly good back nine actually where I managed to finish only four over um, and I played a lot of the par fives on the back nine in level par 
compared to uh, plus plus two for the average on the front nine. Um, I was I was much more much happier with the performance, and the takeaway for me is I need to definitely focus more. So I find that if I'm out of position, instead of really getting in the zone, concentrating, thinking carefully about which shot to play, I'll just try and get the ball back and play. But it's more of a I'll just grab that pop that club and and tap it out. So going forward, I think I need to invest a little bit more time in the mental side of my game. I enjoy the social side with the guys. So I played with uh, Paul and Chris. Never Never met Chris before, but um, a great guy, thoroughly good, um, you know, good, enjoyable round with with him and Paul. But I almost probably enjoy that too much and don't really focus enough on the golf. So going forward, I'm going to try and get myself back into a good pre-shot routine, um, concentrating on the ball, thinking carefully about the club uh, and not rushing it. Because realistically, that's the only way that I'm going to start putting in um, better rounds. But I have been down the range this week, so I went down yesterday, worked again just on the pressure points, so getting more weight on the front left and more weight on the the rear right. And I can see that the ball striking is, generally speaking, is better. And yesterday I just hit 53 woods, 56 irons, and then got back up to, to work in the afternoon. But that's the kind of area in the game that I'm going to have to, to focus on is is the mental side, I think, um, and and also the putting. So I'm going to head out this week, get a bit more putting in um, on the, the practice greens. Again, working on the lag putts. So the greens at our course, they're not too big. It shouldn't really have a problem with them. But I've got to make sure that I'm getting the ball closer because my putting average this week was, uh, was 38, or number of putts, and my average is 31. So, you know, seven putts were lost on my average at the weekend. And if you take off the 7 from the 13 over, that, that's a fairly good score. I mean, I would have been under the standard scratch there um, and uh, with a chance of getting a little cut. So I know where the game needs to improve and uh, it's my job over the next few weeks to try and improve it. But we're getting towards winter now, so it's more likely that I'll probably play less competitions and maybe try to use the light in the winter to get down to the practice range and get some more practice in. Right, that's all for me for this uh, podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for tuning in, especially if you've managed to stay until the end. Do check out those book reviews that I um, put up for you guys there. They are definitely worth a read or a listen to. Hopefully you'll enjoy the golf that's on this week. This afternoon is um, the match with Tiger Woods, Justin uh, Thomas against Rory McIlroy and Justin Rose. So I'm looking forward to tuning into that. These sort of charity or, or fun events, I think they're, they're a great thing to have regularly now. It's nice to see these guys playing. The only thing I'd say is often it depends who the players are. So... Good lineup there, obviously, world class golfers. Uh, I think a lot of people will be tuning into this one. We'll have to see how they get on, but I know that Justin Thomas and Tiger are good friends, and I'm sure they'll they'll be trying to to wind McElroy and uh, Rose up. So should be a good enjoyable one. I think you can watch that on uh, on Golf Pass. And and that's it, yeah. So head over to my Instagram if you want to see any of my, my kind of recent updates and uh, my own personal stuff. You can go into my golf blog, which is andysgolfblog.co.uk. Instagram handle is andysgolfblog. Also on uh, YouTube as well. Hopefully got some um, product reviews and stuff to add to that soon. And you'll find this podcast there. Um, 
and that's it so enjoy the rest of your week happy golfing and thanks very much for listening or for this week for watching (laughs) 